This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today we are in uh, the middle of a sermon series that we've called The Lazarus Life, where we're walking through the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11 and 12, taking it very, very slow and just asking the questions that this story raises for us. So if you're unfamiliar with the Lazarus story, it's a story of a man named Lazarus who gets sick. He's a friend of Jesus, and so when he gets sick, his sisters send a messenger to Jesus to say, Lord, the one you love, your buddy, your friend Lazarus, is sick, and their expectation is Jesus will come and heal him. Jesus tells them, hey, don't worry about it. This sickness will not end in death, but will result in God's glory. And then Jesus stays where he is two more days, and Lazarus dies. Jesus then heads over to Bethany, Lazarus' hometown. He shows up and is met on the outskirts of town by Martha, the older sister of Lazarus, who says, Lord, if you'd shown up earlier, my brother would not have died. He assures her, your brother will rise again because I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha thinks he's talking about one day far in the future, the end of all things, but she's going to find out soon he's talking about right here and right now. Then after Martha, Mary, the other sister of Lazarus, comes out and says the same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She falls weeping at his feet. Jesus weeps with her. Then he goes to the grave, asks for the stone to be rolled away. And where we left the story last week was he had called out Lazarus' name. And at the moment Jesus spoke his name, life was restored to Lazarus' body. And so where we pick up the story today is with that next statement from Jesus, come out of that grave. So we have taken 10 weeks to get into this, and now finally Lazarus is walking out of the grave. Uh, what, what I've loved as we're teaching through this story is it's been such a good reminder to me of the depth of the scriptures and just all of the ways that God can speak to us. As we read through the Lazarus story in John chapter 11 and 12, uh, you know, you're, you're probably going to read through that in about two minutes. But if we stop and consider what's actually being said, it's like a, a sponge hooked up to a hose where no matter how many times you squeeze it, you're going to keep finding new truth, keep finding new revelation, keep finding new ways that, that God's eternal story is applied in Lazarus's life and then is applied in our life as well through Jesus. And so today what we'll see is that when Jesus shows up for Lazarus and when he shows up for us and he calls us by name, it's to resurrect us, but it is also to call us out and lead us on a path of life. So if you have a Bible, we'll be in John chapter 11, just two short verses this morning, verses 43 and 44. So it comes right on the heels. In verse 42, Jesus has showed up at the tomb. He's told them to roll away the stone. And then he's prayed this really short prayer, basically saying, Lord, I know you hear me. I know you always hear me. I'm praying for their benefit, not mine, so that they'll know I am here as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And then we're going to pick it up here in verse 43. It says, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, two things for us to notice, as we talked about last week, when Jesus gives the command Lazarus, that's when life is restored. When his name leaves the mouth of Jesus, Lazarus's soul is reconnected with his body. And so there are two things that occur here, two commands that are given. Lazarus is the command that brings life, and Lazarus is a passive recipient of that gift. 
You and I, in the same way, are passive recipients of God speaking life to us. He doesn't do it because we have earned it or because we deserve it. He does it because we are dead in our sins, lost and hopeless without him. So he still shows up and speaks our name. But then the second command that Jesus gives to Lazarus is come out. And with this one, Lazarus is expected to be an active participant in it. These, these commands, they, they pair closely with what Jesus told Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus is the command that brings resurrection. Come out is the command that leads into the new life Jesus is providing for Lazarus. See, when Jesus calls us out of the grave, he does it so that we will live like a living person, not so that we'll stay in the grave or in the place of the dead. I mean, just, just think about it. So it's, it's Mother's Day. Think of all the times your mom called you by your name in your life, right? So um, like for my mom, there, there were a lot of times growing up, she would call me Chris, right? There were times she would call me Christopher. There were times she would call me Christopher Vance. And then there were times she would call me Christopher Vance Dow. And depending on what she called me, uh, really would kind of give me a clue to Uh, Do I respond? Do I pretend I didn't hear her? Or do I run away? Uh, You know, because it it was, I I don't know, anybody else, your mom only used your middle name for bad things, right? I mean, bad things for you, not necessarily for her, but you know, like, and then the full name, you know, of like, well, I don't, I don't know what I did, but I know I'm about to get a spanking or grounded. Maybe both if I played my cards right, right? And, And so you just have that. But, but the one thing I don't ever remember my mom doing, and you probably don't remember your mom doing, I've never seen my wife do it with our kids, is I, I never observed a mom who just says her kid's name just to say it. My mom never walked through the room, Chris, and just kept walking. Angie has never like walked in our kid's bedroom. Hey, Corbin. Audrey. Right? If your mom does that, if she walks through the room, says your name, and keeps going, you just have that moment of like, we finally broke her. Like, that's it. She's been telling us for years that she's on the verge. Somebody, I don't know which one of us did it. Somebody pushed it over. Somebody's getting spanked when dad gets home. Like, we're going to see her crying at the kitchen sink soon. Like, you know, you just, you, you kind of know, like, that's, it's not good. When your mom said your name, it was always to get your attention and to give you an instruction. Right? So it was, Chris, put that down. Chris, get that out of your mouth. Chris, get your hands off your brother. Chris, don't run with that. Right? Maybe it was an instruction of, hey, hey, they said your name and let me help you with that. Let me show you how to do that. No, it's not that way. It's this way. Maybe it was to give you a word of comfort. They said your name. I just want you to know I love you. I just want you to come here and, and give, me, give me a hug. I want you to know I believe in you. I want you to know it's okay. When your mom says your name, It's not just to hear herself say it, it's to get your attention and then to give you something further. It's the same thing with Jesus. When he calls Lazarus' name, he does it not just to make him alive in the grave, but to call him out of the grave. All right, so so stop and think for just a moment, because again, we read through this story so quickly. Lazarus, he comes alive, come out is what he's supposed to do. And then we know from from what we just read, he does obey and he does get out of the tomb eventually. But there's at least a a little moment in there where where he has to be thinking, what is going on here? How How many of you have ever woke up in your own bed unsure of where you are? Anybody? Yeah, okay. Now, so 
when you wake up in your own bed, in your house, and don't know where you are, it's disorienting for a moment, right? But you put yourself there. You walked in your room, you pulled back the covers, you got in, you went to sleep. Lazarus doesn't have any of that experience. All he knows is his last memory, he was in his home not feeling well. His sisters were maybe around him saying, I hope Jesus comes soon. Maybe there's some friends or family. And now the next thing he knows is he's hearing his name being called by a very familiar voice. He hears the words come out, but all he knows is it is dark in here. Where am I? What's going, why can't I move? What is that smell? Right? Like all kinds of things are probably cycling through his mind in that moment. And so, so he's asking this question, right? Why am I here? But what we know from Lazarus' story is that Jesus resurrects us so that we will live, not so we will lay there. Like his intention is not to call Lazarus to life and then be like, all right, hey, y'all, he's alive in there. If you want to go see it, you can check it out. But we're just going to leave him here. Right, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. I'm going to tell people, you want to see something cool? Go to Bethany, tomb of Lazarus, knock, he might holler. Right, that, that's not it. Jesus calls him to life to call him out. And he does the same thing for you and I. When Jesus shows up in your life and calls you by name, it's to call you out and onto a new path of life. If you have said yes to Jesus, your life should look different than before you said yes to Jesus. He hasn't come to say, hey, I'm going to bring life into your darkness, but you just go ahead and stay there. Hey, I'm going to bring light into your marriage, but it's okay. Just go ahead and keep it busted and broken and destructive. I'm going to bring life into your family, but, but y'all just keep fighting like you've always fought. I'm going to bring life into your job, but, but keep being shady and stealing on the side. I'm going to bring life into this addiction, but you kind of keep playing with it whenever you feel like it. I'm going to do this. No, no, no. When he brings life, it's so that we will live, not so that we'll lay there. And for Lazarus, he has a choice of, of he hears come out, so he's got to come out. If he doesn't come out, he's going to die again, right? Resurrection means, hey, I've been brought back to life, but now Lazarus has the responsibility of actually living in this new life that Jesus is calling him to. But again, there's that moment where he, he can't really understand what's going on. And we'll get into in a few minutes of what it would have looked like and how Lazarus would have been buried and some of the challenges that are presented to him to obeying the command to come out. But for now, what we want to remember is we can obey even when we don't completely understand. There will be times in your life that Jesus shows up, he calls you by name, and he calls you out of where you are. He says, hey, we're going to come out of some of those patterns. We're going to come out of some of those things that have been in your family for generations. We're going to come out of some of these behaviors that your culture says is fine, but I'm calling you into something greater. We're going to come out of a lifestyle where it's all about you and your stuff and move you into a, style, a lifestyle of generosity, a lifestyle of service, a lifestyle of looking out for others. We're going to lead you into these new spaces. And when he calls us, it doesn't always make sense. Because we think, Lord, if, I mean, come out seems like a positive command, and yet when we're being called out of something that we've become comfortable with, it can become a little uneasy, it can become a little uncertain. And so what Lazarus is teaching us is, hey, we just respond. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't know how long he's been there. All he knows is, 
I heard the voice of Jesus and I heard his clear command to come out. So I don't know where I am, but I know I'm supposed to go towards him. And this is what we have to learn. Because when Jesus calls you into new seasons, into new places, into new behaviors, into new relationships, into new opportunities, there will be some fear involved with it. But you cannot be ruled by your feelings in those moments. Your obedience matters more than your feelings. And so you've got to make this decision of, okay, I'm just going to move towards him. And that's what Lazarus models for us, of just this idea of I'm not going to settle for life in the grave. Right? I mean, Lazarus, he, he could have responded if Lazarus come out, ah, I'm cool. That's yeah, fine in here, Jesus. It's better. Nobody bothers me. Right? Nobody needs anything from me. Nobody wakes me up except you, uh, right? And, and, and all of these things he could have said, but he doesn't because Lazarus knows in that moment in some sense, he's not real sure, but he knows, hey, I, I, I guess I need to get out of here. And we want to come to that same realization of when Jesus calls us out, it's because he's calling us into something better. He's calling us into an experience of life. So he might be speaking to you this morning about maybe an area of sin in your life and he's saying, hey, I'm going to call you out of that. I'm going to call you out of that greed. I'm going to call you out of that hatred. I'm going to call you out of that anger. I'm going to call you out of that unforgiveness. I'm going to call you out of those spaces where you don't trust me. I'm going to call you out of those spaces where you're destroying the lives of others. I'm going to call you out of that lust. And we kind of have that fear of like, okay, that, that sounds good, but where are you leading me to? Can I really trust you on this path of new life? Can I trust you where you're going to lead me? And what Lazarus is modeling for us is absolutely. Because to stay where we are is to stay in the place of death. When Jesus has spoken, hey, you can't stay there, you've got to move on, what he's told you is your time there is done. And whether that time is, is a time of sin, a time of running from him, or maybe you're following him and it's just a, hey, look, that, the season of that job, the season of that emphasis, the season of those things you're doing, that's over, so I need you to come out and follow me. When Jesus says come out, we can't stay where we are or wherever we are turns into a grave. The path of life is always a path out and so we have to follow him out of it. but for some of us it's it's scary because to follow him out means we've got to give up where we're comfortable it means we've got to give up where we have control it means we've got to sometimes give up the things that we've worked for it might mean we have to give up some of the patterns and behaviors that, that we've just become really accustomed to and so if you're in a spot today where you think man it is scary to follow jesus out then i want to encourage you for a moment to, to just stop and and look at that thing he's calling you out of Maybe it's fear, maybe it's sin, maybe it's guilt, maybe it's shame, maybe it's certain behaviors, certain relationships, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a school, a degree program. I don't know what it might be, but if he's calling you out of it, look at that for just a moment and then think in that area, where do you want to be 10 years from now? So if this is your marriage, or if this is a relationship with your kids, or if this is part of your career, or part of your school, and Jesus is speaking to you, if it's your finances, if it's your health, he's speaking to you, calling you out of certain behaviors into new ones, where do you want to be 10 years from now? Do you want to be in the exact same spot? If he's coming to you this morning saying, hey, look, there are destructive behaviors in your heart that are ruining your marriage. Stop for just a moment, and yes, there's going to be some risk, and there might be some hard conversations, but 10 years from now, what do you want to say? Well, I dislike her as much today as I did 10 years ago. Well, she still rolls her eyes and says she doesn't know why she's married to me every week. If you have a, a tough relationship with your kids this morning, what do you want to say in 10 years? Uh, they still don't like me. Christmas is still awful. 
right? We don't want to do that. If you're, if you're having financial issues, what do you want to say in 10 years? I'm still broke. Still, still don't know where the, the next bills are going to be paid for. Still greedy. Still looking out for myself. See, sometimes what we got to do is, is when we're scared to make that first step of obedience, we've got to kind of just step back and think, okay, where do I want to be way down the road? Then we, it'll, it'll help inspire us of if that's where I want to be then, then I need to start obeying now. You know, I, I don't know that Lazarus, I, I doubt he has time to go through all of these thoughts while he's in the tomb. But if he did, his question is, where do I want to be in a month? Still in the tomb or back in my house? Where do I want to be in five years? Still here, dead again, or back on the path that God has called me to? But for Lazarus to get there, he had to take those first steps of obedience. He had to get from where he was and just begin to move toward Jesus, even if it all didn't make sense. And it's the same for us this morning. Jesus still comes to us and calls us out of the grave. To follow Jesus is to commit yourself to a life of constant surrender and constant movement. He doesn't come and say, I'm going to be your Savior, I'm going to be your Lord, and now you're good, and I'll check in on you later. But he comes as our shepherd. He comes as the one who leads us and guides for us, cares for us, and feeds us. The one who corrects us when necessary. The one who walks before us on the path and says, this is the way, let's walk in it. Right? Our, our relationships are always changing. Our jobs are always changing. Our experiences in the world are always changing. And we can't think like, well, right here, right now, this is the best version of me I'm ever going to be in. I'm not moving any farther. Because as circumstances change, you change. And Jesus is always coming and saying, hey, just follow me. Just come out. Come out of that. Come out of that. Come into life. Let's go. Let's get moving. Now, what, what many of us have experienced is the, the first time you start on that path, you rarely nail it, right? You don't get it right. There's very few things in your life that you have done perfectly the first time. Uh, like uh, moms, so it's, it's Mother's Day. I am a thousand percent confident that if we went around the room and talked to every single mom and asked them, when you had your first kid, did you nail it, right? Like, did you get everything right? No, you experimented on the firstborn, Right? <laughs> And then the second born, any other second borns in the room? Just me? Yeah, second borns. Then your parents got it right. <laughs> then they knew the appropriate amount of discipline. You know, so the first borns, you're all a little messed up, right? We love you, but you're, you're just, you were the experiment child. And then the second one, we got it right. And the third and the fourth, it's like they stopped caring as much. But you know, that second one, man, they nailed that second one. Now, what's the difference? And, and Angie, even with our kids, there would be times that, you know, with the second or the third one, she would tell me, like, hey, you would have got the other one in trouble for that. I'm like, yeah, but I'm a better parent now. <laughs> or I'm lazy. I don't know, you know, uh, one of the two. But, but what, what happens? Everything in life, you never nail it the first time. There's not a married person in the room who's like, you know what? I said I do. And she's been 100% happy every moment of every day since then. I have nailed it as a husband. I have understood her every thought and every need. I've gotten every gift right. I have never given a vacuum cleaner on Mother's Day, right? I have, some of you are like, that's, oh, yeah, you need to go shopping, right? Just go get something new this afternoon. Uh, you know, but we, we don't do it. You fall over when you ride your bike. You mess up when you try the new project. You start the new job. You don't understand it, right? You pursue this sport. You pursue that instrument. You never get it right the first time. And yet somehow when Jesus shows up and calls us out of the grave, we carry this false expectation of, I can't get moving until I get it perfect. 
I can't walk out of this addiction. I can't acknowledge it until I beat it. I can't tell people we had problems in our marriage until it's whole and it's healthy again. But what we learn from Lazarus' story is when Jesus calls us out, we just start moving towards him and we understand it's going to be awkward. I mean, listen to the way that, that John in verse 44 describes Lazarus' first appearance. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. We have this picture of Lazarus, I think, just kind of strolling out of the grave, right? Just like, come out, okay, here I am, Jesus. All right, we're going to have Tate, um, it's great, interns are awesome, right? So if you'll give Tate Buffington a hand here as he comes, bring that right over here. So we'll, we'll work through this, that's perfect. You can just hang out there for a second, Tate. You good? Okay. So, uh, so many of us, who's ever been to a funeral? Okay. Who's ever been to a funeral where the casket was open for a portion of it? Okay. So uh, when you go there, you then you get an opportunity to see the person. Now, they've been prepared, right? They've been embalmed. They've been dressed. How many of you have ever kissed someone in a casket? <sighs> okay. Um, <laughs> like, God bless you. I know it was your spouse. It was your parent. I'm not trying to make light of that. I just, uh, Angie and I, we've had that talk before, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm not, if you die first, I'm not giving you a kiss in the, in the casket. Um, I've gave her orders of like, when I'm buried, uh, you know, you have two choices. You can either put up a no kissing sign, um, or you can have the, the, the funeral home uh, put me in the casket with my hand extended like this, and people can just give me high five as they go by. Like, that's acceptable. If somebody needs closure, you can give me high five, but no... No kissing, none of that. But, but we have this picture, right, of somebody is dead, and they're all put together. So if it's a man, he's buried in his suit. If it's a woman, she's in her dress, right? The, if it's a crazy OU fan, they're buried in a jersey, uh, you know, even though they never played for the school. I don't get it, but they do it, right? We, I don't know. Uh, so, but there's just that picture. So when we carry that, we have this thought of, like, Lazarus, okay, throw back the coffin. Here he comes strolling out. He's dressed. He's fine. That's not what happens. So, so Tate is going to be Lazarus for us, um, and, and we learned some stuff in the 915 service. <laughs> so the first thing we learned is, moms, I need you all to relax, okay? Tate is going to be able to breathe the entire time. We safety checked this on Thursday. He is a healthy young man with no underlying medical conditions, right? Except, let's show him what you got in your, in your right pocket. Just in case, rescue inhalers on hand. All right, so, so you, can, you can relax. I didn't think of it, but I heard afterwards, like, I couldn't even pay attention. I thought, like, we were doing the full Lazarus story. Like, you're going to kill him and everything, right? Not at all. He's going to be fine. So what John tells us about Lazarus' burial, uh, first he tells us that he is buried in a cave. Right, so, so we obviously can't recreate the cave, but what we can recreate, so the, the cave, Lazarus was probably wealthy. Poor people were just buried in the ground. Wealthy people had caves that they were buried in, and so their family would take them, and there would be shelves cut in the side of the cave. When somebody died, they would place them on the shelf, and then they would basically lay there until they decomposed to the point that only bones were left. Then the bones would be collected, placed in a small box, and those would be placed in a somewhere else in the tomb or maybe in the ground by a marker. Okay, so Lazarus is in a tomb on a shelf. So the table will be our shelf. 
Now, John also tells us he's wrapped in grave clothes. Now, what that looks like is not your Sunday finest. So Lazarus, when he died, uh, his body would have been washed. He might have had a a small garment put on him, maybe just been wrapped up. We, We don't really know. And then they would have packed spices around him. But they would have picked a garment that was about uh, a little bit wider than his body and twice as long. And then what they would have done is they would have placed Lazarus in between the sheets. And they would have made sure that he was covered completely. And there would have been a, a couple people helping with this. And then they would have grabbed it and they would have run it all the way down his body, all the way back up, and occasionally all the way back down Again, you still good, Tate? Yep. All right. So this is Lazarus's experience. And then John also tells us, he said there were strips of linen wrapped around his feet and his hands and a cloth around his face. So again, Lazarus's job in the tomb is to decompose. Right? And, and in the tomb, there would probably be multiple shelves. So Lazarus dies, but he might have been thrown in there with Grandpa, who had died a couple years earlier. Grandpa's decomposing. So they're trying to make sure that in the decomposition process, Lazarus keeps it together. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to go in the cave and look over on the shelf, and Lazarus, two years later, has his left leg hanging off the side, his right arm hanging off the side, and his mouth gaping wide open. It's alarming for the people who come in, right? So what they would do to avoid that, to keep everything together, is they would wrap his feet in linen, right? So he is wrapped up, and then he's bound here. And then it says they wrapped his hands, so it's arms down at his side, and they're going to come, and they're going to get him all wrapped up, and then they wrapped his head as well. So this would have been a two-person job, but we'll do it as a one-person job. So we've got Lazarus here. He's holding out. They would have been much more efficient at this than I am. They would have made it look a lot nicer, but you are still going to get the point. So he's wrapped. And then the head. The head is the fun part. So uh, there are are differences of opinion here. So some scholars will tell you they wrapped the head to come underneath the the jaw to make sure that that the mouth didn't right? Because some of you are, you've been like, maybe Lazarus has been a mouth breather his whole life and they just, they don't want to come in and find him uh, looking at this. So they would wrap underneath and then they would wrap around. And most of the time they said the wrapping around the head would wind up, I mean, it would look better than this, but it would wind up about that where the head becomes like two times almost its normal size, sometimes three, three times. Still breathing, Tate? Okay. Perfect. So This is the condition of Lazarus, right? Not Western, nice silk-lined coffin, not in his Sunday finest, buried in a tomb, wedged into a little narrow slot in a wall. So now, does it make a little bit more sense why Jesus rolls away the stone and then it says, he commanded in a loud voice, And so we talked last week, maybe some of the the volume is related to his passion, but maybe some of the volume is just practical. We got to make sure Lazarus hears us. Lazarus has a moment, Lazarus, and life returns. And the the first moment life returns, there's a little wiggle, right? Of, hey, what, where am I? 
what am I doing? And then the command, come out. Jesus doesn't send anyone in to help Lazarus. He's on a shelf in a dark cave surrounded by other decaying, decomposing people. And all he knows is, I don't know where I am. I don't know how I got here, but I got to get out. And so you know it's awkward. Lazarus' first move here is he has to figure out how to roll off the shelf and get onto the floor, right? And so he, he's going to do it. Now, we don't know. Maybe Lazarus is coordinated and has good abdominal muscles. Maybe Lazarus bites it, right? Maybe Lazarus, when they finally get him addressed later, is like, Jesus, I'm good, but my elbow so sore, right? We don't know. All we know is somehow come out is not just sweet, new life, let's go. But then once he's up, he's still got to get out. His feet are bound. His arms are bound. His head is bound. He can't really see, but he's got to kind of shuffle, hop, scoot, do whatever he can to get all the way, that's probably close enough, all the way to the edge of the tomb, right? And, and so resurrection power. This is what it looks like. I mean, it's exciting that Lazarus comes out, but it's a little bit like, ooh. And we'll talk next week when Jesus tells him, get those grave clothes off of what those grave clothes might have entailed. Right? But, but for now, Lazarus, Titus, you don't mind helping me. We're going to leave Lazarus right where he was. There you go. We'll bring him back next week. Thank you, Tate. Promise he's still alive. He's super hot and a little uncomfortable, but, but he, he's alive and he's fine. But here, here's what I want you to think about this morning. When Jesus calls you to new life, when he calls you out of old relationships, when he calls you out of old patterns of behavior, when he calls you out of the way that you've always done things, when he calls you out of the way your family has done things for generations, when he calls you out of sin, when he calls you out of darkness, when he calls you out of a job, when he calls you out of a degree program, when he calls you out of a plan that you've always had, when he calls you out of the way that your family has always worked or the way that you have always approached to certain situations, when you start moving towards him, you might bumble, you might stumble, you might trip, you might fall, but your only option is to just keep moving toward Jesus, right? We rarely get it right the first time, but that's not an excuse to stop obeying and stop moving towards him. Lazarus has no idea where he is, how he got there, what he's doing. All he knows is it's dark, it's smelly. I hear Jesus calling me out. And so I've got to go. I've got to go. And so when Jesus speaks to us, this is still our response today. I've just got to move toward him. He's not waiting for you to, to figure it all out. He's not waiting for you to make it look nice. Lazarus doesn't lay in the tomb and say, hey, can I get some help in here? Can somebody bring me some fresh clothes? Can somebody help me get off this shelf? He just knows I'm in darkness. I hear Jesus. I got to get there by whatever means necessary. And, and what we're being reminded of is something we see in the scriptures over and over and over again is Jesus welcomes the raw and the real. He's not waiting for you to get it all polished and put together. Time and time again throughout the scriptures, we find people running to Jesus, falling at his feet in the middle of all of their mess. And there's not a single time you find Jesus telling them, hey, pull it together and then I'll help you. 
Even in Lazarus' story, as soon as he gets sick and it looks serious, the sisters send a messenger to Jesus. When Jesus shows up and Lazarus has died, Martha goes and meets him with all of her frustration and says, Lord, if you had been here earlier, my brother would not have died. When Mary comes, she falls at his feet weeping, and each time Jesus' response is to keep revealing who he is and why he's there. So in our lives, when Jesus is calling us out, he's not saying, hey, when you get that a little cleaned up, I'd love to help you with it. Hey, when you can manage those behaviors a little bit better, I'd love to set you free from it. Hey, when you can stop being so embarrassing to me, I'd love to call you my son or my daughter. No, no, no. He just welcomes us right where we are. And you know my favorite testimonies of people who've come to faith in Christ? My favorite testimonies are the ones where they can't help cussing as they tell me what Jesus is doing in their life. Like, it's just so real. I mean, I would repeat some of them for you, but it's Mother's Day and my mom's here. So I'm not doing that because, I mean, I tasted soap a couple times growing up and I'm not doing it as a 39-year-old man. So, right, but, but that moment of they just can't help, they don't have any other expression, but this is what Jesus has done and it's awesome, right? It's that moment where the alcoholic still has the smell of alcohol on their breath while they're talking about how they feel like they've been set free from Jesus, It's the space where the ankle monitor is still on and they're talking about the transformation Jesus has brought. It's that moment where the spouse is saying, my life has been transformed and it's going to be different and the other spouse is there like eyebrows raised of we'll see. It's a moment where the addict, I mean, the the signs of addiction are all around them, but they know I've been set free. I'm walking this new path. It's when the greedy, stingy person says, I've been set free. I'm going to become a generous person, but they're still surrounded by the destruction that they've caused. Jesus welcomes the raw and the real. He's not waiting for you to get it together. He's just waiting for you to get moving. Just come out. Come out from where you are. Come out of darkness into light. Come out of death into life. Come out of a kingdom where you serve yourself into the kingdom where you serve the Lord. And in this space, he knows you're not going to nail it the first time. But that's fine. You can stumble. You can trip. You can fall. The only thing that really matters is that you just keep moving toward Jesus. Lazarus hears his voice and just knows, I got to get there. I got to get there. He can't see clearly. He can't hear clearly. He can't probably speak clearly. Right? It, it's awkward. It's painful. It's uncomfortable for him to get where he, from where he is to where Jesus has called him to be. But he knows he has to move. And that's our response this morning as well. Whatever it is Jesus is calling you out of, maybe it's out of sin, maybe it's out of some destructive habits, maybe it's a really good thing. He's calling you out of this career, out of this area of life, and into something new. You can trust him, you can follow him, but you've just got to make that decision like Lazarus did of, hey, I'm coming out of this grave. I'm coming out. I'm not staying here. The place that Jesus is calling me to is more appealing than the place where I currently am. And no matter the cost, no matter the uncertainty, no matter the fear, if it, if it means I have to change everything about me, that's fine. I'm going to follow him. If it means I've got to lay down some of these selfish tendencies, if I've got to lay down my pride, if I've got to lay down my control, lay down my comfort, that's fine. I'm going to walk with him. If he's calling you out of sin that you've embraced for years or decades, it's a totally new way of seeing and experiencing the world but he's calling you on that path and your only choice is to move towards him, right? For, for Lazarus, it's, it's clear. It's literally death or life. He can stay where he is and be dead again in a matter of days or weeks, or he can roll out, hobble, hop, 
scoot, get to the door, and just hope that once he gets there, Jesus has a plan. And and that's what he's calling us to today as well. You might not know how it ends. You might not even know what awaits on the other side of the entrance to that tomb. But you know Jesus is there. And you know he's promised us in John 10, 10, that he's come to give us life and give us life to the full. And so whenever he's calling you out, it's not to rip you off or bait and switch you, but if he's calling you to lay something down or leave something behind, it's because he has a better path, a better plan for you. So surrender that and walk on that new path he has in front of you. Will you stand with me? I want to pray for you this morning. The band's going to come back and and lead us in a final song. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, we come to you today. And we're thankful that you're the God who not only calls us by name, but that you're the God who comes and calls us out. Lord, you not only bring resurrection, but you bring an invitation to life. You lead us and you guide us. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room this morning, every person online worshiping with us, that that they're struggling with some of those sins, some of those addictive and destructive behaviors. And today they hear you saying, come out. Leave those things behind you and come out. And so, Lord, I pray that they would respond in obedience, believing that your life is better than their death, that your light is better than their darkness, that your future is better than their current reality. And so, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to come in these moments and fill our hearts with faith and with courage to believe that the path you're revealing to us is the path we must walk. And so, Lord, no matter how painful or awkward it may be, will you come today and give us the strength and the ability to take that first step, that first roll, that first shuffle of obedience toward you. And we believe as you do, Lord, you will bring freedom, you will bring life, you will bring salvation to us. If you're here today and and there's some spaces in your life where you just know God is calling me out, As you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, will you just raise your hand so I can pray a specific prayer for you? You know, he's calling me out. He's calling, I can't stay where I am. He's calling me out. Lord, you see us, you know every situation, every person. And Lord, I pray in that space today that you would overcome fear, that you would overcome comfort, that you would overcome laziness, that you would overcome doubt, that you would overcome everything that keeps us in the grave and help us to walk in the new life you're laying out for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are good, you are kind, you are loving. We thank you that we can here come out as an invitation, not a threat. Come out into life, come out into life, come out into hope, come out into joy, come out into peace, come out into the way your soul was meant to interact with God and with others. Lord, we want to come out into your kingdom. We want to come into the path that you've laid out, created, cleared for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like someone to join with you in personal prayers, as the band leads us in a final song, you can head out those back doors and to your left, our prayer team and pastors will be waiting to meet with you. We love to pray those prayers with you and to see you following the path God has laid out for you. So if you'll head out as we sing the rest of us, we're going to sing that song they led us in earlier. That's just a reminder as we come out of that grave, God continues to bring us experiences of life. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.